0: I'm AJ Bianco from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows in the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: and welcome to another great episode of my edtech life thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful wednesday I know it's a Wednesday. I mean, it's been the holidays. We took a little bit of time off, but today we've got an amazing show and I'm so excited for today's show because we're going to be talking about AI and instructional design with our amazing guest, Dr. Luke Luke Hobson, who is joining us, who is a second time guest. But before we get into our conversation, guys, I just want to say thank you for all of your support, all the likes, the shares, the follows, thank you so much to all our new YouTube subscribers. As you know, our mission is to get to 1000 subscribers and you're definitely helping us get closer to that. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for really just um, you know taking our content in and really just all the comments and reposts. I mean, it goes a long way. Thank you for all of your support as always. And tonight, again, like I mentioned, we definitely have a stellar guest two-time guest and I'm really excited because every time Dr. Luke and I get together and we have some amazing conversations about just creativity and just content creation amongst other things and tonight we're going to be talking about something that he is definitely very well known for which is instructional design and of course AI's role in instructional design and we're just going to kind of recap and learn a little bit about what he's experienced this whole year you know it's been a little bit over a year since chad gpt came out and we're definitely going to learn a little bit more of that so uh dr luke hobson how are you this evening
0: fawns i'm well I'm well thank you again for having me two
1: times Pretty Two cool. times. Yeah. That's right. It yeah. is cool. So I love Absolutely. it. But thank you so much for definitely gracing us with your presence, as you know. Um, it's it's always a blast. Um, you know, chatting with you, and uh, you know, since the first time we've connected, and you're definitely always putting out some amazing content, which we will be sharing here, uh, throughout the chat. But. Dr. Hobson, for all our audience members who may not be familiar with your work yet or haven't quite connected with you, can you please give us a little brief introduction and what your context is within the instructional design space?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I identify as a learning nerd. Basically, anything about instructional design and designing learning experiences, that is what I am all about. For my full time gig, I am the senior instructional designer and program manager at MIT X Pro. I also teach at the University of Miami in the doctoral program for applied learning sciences. And I post a lot of content on the internet, the blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel. Now, two books because I released one the other day for an ebook. So now I have to start to save them. Now I have two books as well, and uh, I produce a lot of other different types of things to be able to help teach people about instructional design. And as you mentioned, I have been heavily dabbling within the AI space as well ever since that came into our world. And fun fact, I was thinking about this a little bit more. I was first introduced to ChatGPT back working on a program in 2020, which is Wild, the professor who I was working with, mentioned about it inside of his program. And at the time, I was like, ah, all right, kind of cool. Like, But that doesn't really intersect inside of instructional design. And then now, fast forward four years, and I'm like, well, this is all I'm talking about now. So I was wrong. <laughs> and things have moved inside of this direction.
1: Wow. And you know, that that is amazing. And so I'm really excited to dive in deep because I know, like you said, you know, you are definitely just a just a lifelong learner, you know, you said learning nerd and everything. And I know you and I we really nerd out a lot. I just on a lot of the great tools that are out there, especially about content creation. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, your role in higher ed, as we know, you mentioned instructional design. And so I want to know a little bit here, starting off with reflecting over this whole year, like you mentioned, being introduced to chat GPT, being introduced to AI as a whole. So can you share some insights on the most significant ways that AI has influenced your work in this past year?
0: I mean, in the past, it's so crazy because if you asked me this question like two (laughs) months ago, my answer would be different. And this is like the like the most insane thing about all of this is that constantly we are being introduced to something new and something keeps on coming about. And we have to essentially sift through the weeds to be able to say, like, is this actually relevant for what I'm doing? Or maybe it's kind of like meh. So it really has so much to do with research and trying to be able to see what other types of people who I'll just call like thought leaders in the AI space. Like, I want to know, like, What are they doing? And I'm trying to be able to research and see much more from them. But one thing that came about the other day that I saw Ethan Mollick do over at uh, Wharton, shout out to him. And he mentioned about how he created his own customized GPT. And as soon as I heard about that, like the wheels inside of my head started to turn and say like, wait a second, are you telling me that with the latest for GPT-4, I can make my own customized version and I can actually feed it the data that I want? Because there's a whole bunch of things that Chat GPT and any of the LLMs have always done, but they've said things where you like i don't agree with that like no that's that's not true where all of a sudden i can feed it my own data sets, i can make uh corrections different forms of guidance and whatnot and then that way all of a sudden now i have my very own custom gpt and i did that i created something called your udl pal as far as for helping out with professors instructional designers teachers other educators if they wanted to be able to actually see are the learning experience is essentially being able to be used by everybody which is the essence about for udl to make meaningful learning for all learners and all of a sudden now i had this fully functioning thing that i could use and share with other people and it's public anyone can use it right now and i only spent maybe 25 minutes on it and all of a sudden it was done and it was giving incredible information about how to make their learning experiences more accessible, more UDL friendly, and just think about other different ways for meeting and thinking about learning preferences that maybe an educator wouldn't actually think about. But all of a sudden, you have a little, you know, uh, uh, a type of a little buddy to be able to help you out for kickstarting new ideas. And now it can do that. So that has been the most influential thing that I've seen lately, as far as for having that type of a kickstarter, a type of someone to be able to essentially work alongside you for designing your learning experiences that Never really had that before, unless you were working with another teammate or someone else. So that's been the biggest thing lately,
1: man. And that is great. And I know that when that came out, the first thing I did, obviously working in just uh, you know K twelve. For us, I was just using some of that for just streamline our UIL process, you know, for our UIL leagues and creating tests and, you know, contests, uh, material and everything and just feeding it the information and coming up with that was just amazing. And also, obviously, being a podcaster, creating my own little podcast GPT, where all I do is I just put in, you know, just some brief information about my most recent guest and then it just spits out everything that I need And it's just amazing what it can do. And like you mentioned, you know, for yourself, having that kind of like co-pilot or that you know virtual partner or actually just your gpt buddy to help you and guide you feeding it all that information and just bringing out you know giving you some amazing outputs that you can tweak that you can edit as needed and it's something that is amazing so i want to ask you though i know that that right now is something that is really big for you but in the very beginning what were your initial thoughts coming into, you know, starting to use AI and you being like, well, as my role in an, as an instructional designer, you know, was there a little bit of fear, or a little bit of concern when this came out? So tell me a little bit about that from the beginning.
0: So personally, I did not have any fear about this because of the fact of trying to get anyone to use a piece of technology in academia, who's not an instructional designer is like pulling teeth. And I'm like, There's no way (laughs) that people are now going to rely and try to do things themselves to be able to ask about with drafting different forms of assignments or for scenarios or creating case studies or whatever. It's like, I'm not I'm not really too concerned about this. And to be very completely transparent too, when I was first introduced to AI from uh, shout out to my friend. Peter Shea, who kept on pinging me saying, you got to try GPT, you got to try this thing, it really could be the next thing. And as you and I both are living inside of this world of education, whenever somebody says that here is a new thing that is going to revolutionize education, I'm like, yeah, okay. Like it, every year we're introduced to something new, but it's going to be, it was like flipped classroom model, competency-based education, micro learning, VR, whatever it is. And all of them, great, have their own place and time. Don't get me wrong. But to say this will be the brand new thing to just completely change instructional design completely. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. But as I started to experiment with things, I was like, well, actually, I see some potential. Yeah, I can help with drafting up learning objectives. It's not really doing a great job, but at least it's, it's starting to be able to get there and to think about different forms of assignments to be able to repurpose transcripts was the first thing that I really did. I would just upload a transcript in one of my videos to be able to say, like, what can we do with this? And essentially, it became a part of a reading and then being able to create it into a different form of a scenario and all these other different things. So I was like, man, that's that's actually really cool. Like I never really thought that this could really do this in this capacity and the more and more that I kept on experimenting with things, eventually it brought me down this rabbit hole where I was being able to draft up letters of recommendations for students. I was just like, ah, like I fed it what, like an entire chapter of my book to be able to say, learn how I write, now I want you to do X. And all of a sudden, it started to be able to do this. But every single time, Fawns, I was seeing limitations, though, along the way. So it was never perfect. And one of the things that it started to do, because if you follow any of the things that I talk about, I use stories. I'm a storyteller. I try to be able to give so many examples of the real world, talk about my past blunders and things of that nature. And what it would do, it would make up stories about me and try to put that <laughs> into the writing. And I'm like... No, I didn't do that when I was five years old. Like, no, that's that's not real. So there was a lot of okay, we're getting there, but we still need to be able to correct these things in order to make it usable and believable for what we want to be able to do.
1: Yeah, no, and that, you know that's something that you hit on right off the bat. You know, one of the things that I always tell my colleagues or just tell anybody that I'm working with too as well is, yes, the technology is there; it comes out. We get so excited. I was very much like you where I'm like, well, you know, it's there and, you know, the claims and everything. And, but I always kind of remained just kind of in the middle, just because at that time when that was coming out, I was started doing my research for one of my doctoral classes. And I was like, Hey, you know, I started going deep dive into the privacy aspect, you know, obviously that dark side that nobody really talks about a lot. It's just kind of in passing. It's like, Oh yeah, just be careful with what information you put in there. Okay. But but what if you do like where is that information going what is getting done with that what's happening and so on really i think with educators it it becomes more of like hey i want to try the next thing the next tool i'm just going to go ahead and click 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 yes terms of service whatever check the mark you know the little check mark and then just go and go to town not really knowing what you're kind of getting yourself into or, you know, some of those implications. And so I kind of slowed down a bit and just being very cautious, still experimenting with it on my own, just learning. Obviously, Ethan Mollick, too, is just a person that I follow, learned a lot from him and a lot of other people that were using it, but just very, always very cautious. And it isn't until now, starting in January that I'm like really going full on full force because there are some uh, AI apps in the education space that do have the COPPA compliance, FERPA and all that good stuff for the privacy aspect and so on. So just making sure that I do my due diligence because we always wanna protect our data, protect our students. But we also noticed, and I don't know if you did, but, you know, when Dev Day came out and, of course, talking about how creating your own GPTs, I think we saw a lot of apps kind of just go under because they were just kind of like those fancy GPT wrappers. So what were your thoughts on that? You know, were you already experimenting with some apps that might have already been like, oh, maybe they went under because of this? So tell me your experience with that.
0: I was assuming that that was going to happen, especially to even going broader beyond apps. Cause of course I I tried everything from, from GPT to Google bar, to Dolly, to Claude, to like, you know, I tried all of them. Right. And as soon as chat GPT came out with a mobile version, I was like, Oh, they're all done. (laughs) Like you're telling me I can now use this on my phone, like everything's done. Like we're we're moving in this direction. And of course, same thing too when GPT combined with Dolly, um, I'm to say when open AI combined with Dolly to be able to do that and trying to be able to create artwork for different types of scenario-based problems. And it was able to do so. So, like hypothetically speaking, let's say when I'm working on a leadership course. And inside of this leadership course, we're talking about a company that has a problem with culture and it implodes. And there's this whole story, this whole bang. And then at the same time, now that we have this, I want to make it more believable. Create for me a logo of this company. But actually, give me three designs. Make it modern, make it edgy, uh, and make it look you know classy, whatever. And all of a sudden, it can do that. Put it in colors of blue and white. Try to be able to do this and this and this. And that was just like, all right burp this is such in a ad- far advanced different direction than for all of these other little one-off different types of apps well still some are still great but at the same time it, you know it, it's like all of a sudden everything is getting pushed out of a sandbox and now we have this one major one to be able to do and i'm sure but this is only going to keep on happening more and with our world specifically what i am extremely interested in Because there are pros and cons of this, to be very clear and transparent, is how learning management systems are incorporating AI. Because that, to me, is fascinating. Because I was talking with uh, a a friend of mine, Devlin Pack, who probably anyone who's listening to instructional design knows who he is. Now he's one of the biggest names inside of his space for sharing content and information. And he mentioned when I interviewed him before about how he's just like, I could see e-learning actually really taking the brunt force of this and getting eliminated and i was like you know yeah there's a lot of things that we do but this so uh simple and easy to do but anyone can really essentially do it because there's so many different types of software and authoring tools that are just extremely easy to be able to use that yeah hypothetically speaking if you have let's say ai and embedded inside of an lms well then does that essentially eliminate the need for authoring tools and I've seen some where it's like, yeah, that that's what they did. <laughs> They've yeah. essentially gotten rid of the idea for authoring tools because now you can do everything inside of a learning management system. And that's fascinating. Uh, Brightspace is one from, uh, from D2L that I've seen. And I'm like, this is, this is insane to think about where we're at now compared to this couple of years ago. But of course the big thing with that then too, as you were talking about with data privacy, I think about things as well, as far as for with who is exactly using this because right now using an app is, is one thing but now all of a sudden that we have every professor who is let's say trying to be able to use an lms and they're like oh i can just make multiple choice questions like this let's see what happens and you're like oh wait hold on <laughs> hold on a second like no like that's not correct we need to be able to do this so we definitely need to be able to have the right training in place make sure the right people are going to be using this and things of that nature
1: but the potential
0: is there And it it could be really wild. So that's where I'm super curious about with things.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited too, because in a very similar way, I've created like some learning modules before in the past, you know, and of course you go through them, you know, making your own videos and all that stuff. But some of these platforms, like there was one that I saw, it was just a, called a mini course generator. And you just go ahead and put in your information. If you have any documents and all that stuff, very similar to GPT-4, and you just pop it in and it'll lay out the whole class for you and it'll do little quizzes. It'll even put in pictures. It'll put in just everything there for you. And then you just go in and tweak. And I'm like, this is amazing. So even as a content creator, it's like now I can say, hey, here's like your, you know, podcasting 101, you know, something basic, something just very easy. And and one of the things that I love about AI is just really about keeping it simple and streamlined. I know that there are many apps out there. We can go on for days about apps and what they can do, but I'm always like, okay, what is our overall objective? What are we trying to do? What do we want our learner to get out of this? And is this either going to be something positive or negative for them to use as far as the experience? And the more easy and streamlined it is, the better. And, you know, oftentimes in the education space here, I know in K-12, I don't know about, you know, in the instructional design space, maybe there is some similarity. But on Twitter or anywhere that there's educators, somebody's going to come up and say, hey, I just use this for this. And everybody jumps on that and then they start using it and then the next week somebody else is using something else and then they jump on that, which is kind of like a habit that I see a lot of app jumping or app hopping and that causes a lot of frustration, not only for a lot of the teachers, but a lot of the students too as well because now they're using multiple apps and there are different sign-ons or different things when there's always a lot of duplication of efforts is the instructional design space very similar to that as far as app hopping and or within you know your community?
0: It's a good question. I would say I don't think it is a, and of course I'm speaking so broadly as a part of an <laughs> entire industry, but I don't think so. As much because I know from an instructional design perspective, we are acutely aware about the fact that if you're designing a learning experience and you're asking someone to be able to sign in to like 30 things, it's miserable and nothing ever works. Nothing is ever connected correctly the way that it should be. They're advertised that, of course, they all work with one another, but they don't it's things of that nature. So I know that for many of us, we are just so focused to make sure that if you're going to be going inside of a type of an online class, let's say that we're definitely using the right ones and not constantly changing things every single time. And of course, this is the huge problem with AI is that so much changes so fast. You teach one semester, by the time it's done, all of a sudden you have a new set of tools. And it's just like, so it's really tricky to be able to do. But you mentioned exactly what I was going to say as well is that what is the goal and of course thinking about the students what is exactly in this for them why are they taking this type of learning experience how is this going to benefit them how is this going to help them because for so much yes we can get completely fascinated by the different types of tools and tech and all that fun stuff but at the end of the day, is this actually helping out the learners, the students? Like, is it or not? Because if it's not, and this is just making things super clunky and confusing, And then, of course, from a design perspective, you're now having to change all of that on the back end with every single class and every single run. And that's just, that's just really not fun for anything involved. And, of course, the goal of what we're trying to be able to do with uh, improving learning experiences and designing learning experiences with AI is not just to make crappy stuff faster which is what some people have done where I'm like, no, it's not the point. Like the point is not just like produce like quantity, like at a rapid rate. It's no, we should still be thinking about quality first and foremost. And yes, streamline these processes with different forms of, of apps and tools and everything else. But like, we really, really need to make sure that we're doing things at the end of the day for the right purposes and the right reasons.
1: I love that. I love that you said that because one of the things that I, often see, like I mentioned, it's it's in the education space, it's a lot of app hopping. And sometimes that duplication of efforts where one app is perfectly fine to get you to get to that learning objective to make sure that the student has, you know, mastered that concept, or they can show their learning, whether through an artifact that they create, and so on and so forth. But like I mentioned, sometimes that's that influence of and that i call it the it's really the fomo the fear of missing out because this person's doing it like i want to do it too because i want to post it and sometimes it's because they 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 you know they want to post it and they get excited which is great but at the end of the day i think sometimes like you mentioned it's like now you've got one app for every little thing where you could have really dove deep into that app and really Get what you need and then some, but oftentimes we don't spend enough time in those apps to really see what they're able to do and capable of doing. And especially now with so many new things coming out, everybody wants to kind of do that. And so sometimes it's just that fear of, again, number one, teachers using a lot of apps. Number two, now you've got teachers that may not be as proficient in tech that have that fear of missing out because, oh, that teacher is doing this and I can't, but I'm trying to and I mess up and then it causes more frustration. And so I, that's why with myself, I, I that's why I, I did, did a presentation, what was it, three weeks ago or something called Kiss Your AI. Just keep it simple and streamlined, two to three tools that you're great at and really dive in deep and really you know take them and use them and maximize them again at the end of the day it's it's all about your student and your student output you know i know we worry a lot about you know our output that we get from gpt which is obviously we need to make sure that that is in line too but really it's what's the student output and are we getting what we need to make sure that we're showing mastery and that there is learning that's taking place. So I want to ask you now, we're kind of just switching a little bit here, is the reaction. I know that for you, I know you got very excited and so on, but within the instructional design space and the people that you are, you know, frequently, you know, working with or in contact with, you know, what was the predominant reaction amongst your colleagues with AI coming out?
0: I think it was a mixed bag it was a mixed bag that we definitely had the people who were the early adopters of technology so for those who were just all about it and they were just sharing and sharing and sharing all the different types of things and then you definitely have people who were on the exact opposite side of the house they had a healthy amount of skepticism to be like I, like hold on a second like let's really think about this and what about plagiarism and it's pulling from fake citations and like you have like all those different types of academics as well inside of this space. But I know that one thing which I saw, which was very clear, and I'm sure you saw it online as well too, is that so many people were just sharing about AI, which was kind of like, good and bad because in one sense you had all these people who were making up this big to-do about things and they were sharing about their best tips and their best tricks and certainly it was going to be helpful but i can constantly tell you that it was essentially looking at a linkedin carousel every 3 seconds about how to use prompts for chat gpt and it's like every single thing i'm like all right we're we're just we're clearly just copying and pasting each other's work here like we need something new <laughs> to come out to really make us say like oh yeah, that's different. Like, what What about like that kind of direction? But a lot of folks were, and I'm happy to be able to say that there was this type of a uh, inquisitive nature about just, how do we actually use this people are talking about this now I need to be able to know how to use this because my other colleagues are mentioning about how they're using Google Bard and chat GPT and maybe I should know a thing or two about a thing or two so there was a lot of just sharing information which was fantastic it's like the way that academics should be where this the information is this available where it's just like here you go here's all the different things if you want to dive in deeper you can but here's at least the basics about prompt engineering here's what's working out well here's what's not working out well and clearly it's not doing great like for instance uh having different types of conversations around learning styles that is still for whatever reason embedded and engraved inside of our society and it just like won't go away and chat GPT is now reinforcing that which is super duper but anyway just kind of like tangent for another day but there's this a lot of sharing from that type of information and yeah, just a couple of different types of things from a pros and cons perspective around that. But now it seems like the dust has settled and that we're in this kind of a new space where we're all aware about AI. We know what it can do. And it kind of feels like we're waiting for the next thing of what's going to be the next like, ooh, this is pushing things in a whole different type of direction. And we're, it seems like we're waiting. I'm not sure if you're waiting inside of your space, but like that's that's kind of a sense that I'm getting right now.
1: Yeah, no, and that's, that's the way it's been for me, just kind of that wait and see, but cautiously experimenting and seeing what is out there and really trying to do my best. Obviously, working in the school district and wanting to share this with teachers, it's definitely no easy feat because you want to make sure that you're giving them the best things that are not going to cause any frustration. And so obviously seeing a lot of things going on in the education space and very much like you, I agree that at the very beginning, it's like, Every carousel was out there, whether it's on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, you know, Instagram, and so on, and just seeing information out there, and then that kind of died down a bit, and then it really kind of weeded out some of the you know, those players that were just kind of putting stuff out and trying to sell their course and trying to sell all of this where they're used, finding the real people that are sharing the great knowledge in innovative ways. And that's why on LinkedIn, you know, definitely Ethan Malik that I follow with doing some great stuff that he's sharing and, of course, in the higher ed space as well. But that can easily translate into K-12 space, which is something that's definitely very important. And, uh, you know, again, it's it's hard because as much as I, w- I love the tech, it's constantly changing. And then again, if I introduce something, it's like, Oh, okay, well, that's not there anymore. Because let's say open AI did another Dev Day, and now they're able to do this. So that company now has gone under. And I think the fear for me is that if you are investing in something that is supposed to be education based, but maybe they're using some of that large language model, or they're using open AI per se, and then let's say that now, there's either a bigger premium on that or they create something where it's going to substitute that. Well, as a school district, let's say you just paid, you know, $10,000, $16,000 for licenses for the year. And then all of a sudden to know that, hey, well, we're no longer around because, uh, you know, Dev Day 2 or Dev Day 3 and so on. So that's the scary part for me in that aspect. So for me, for myself, what I'm doing is just really, hey, let's just talk about GPT and at the most basic and just kind of start from there and use that just to make sure that, you know, our teachers are feeling very comfortable with that. So again, you know, some things there that we all have to adapt. And I'm surprised though, we recently did an AI summit and out of all the attendees there, I would say that maybe there was a good 20, 25 maybe out of 125, maybe 130 attendees that were, you know, felt comfortable and felt proficient. And there were still some attendees there that had never even logged in to mm-hmm. chat GBT. And so I want to ask you, as far as your in your uh, experience in higher ed, I was listening to another podcast and actually with Jason Guglia, who actually will be on the show tomorrow morning, he said that, you know, there was that fear that you know, obviously the introduction, there was kind of like that excitement, but then that summer semester came through and there was a lull. And he said that right now, it doesn't seem that higher ed is really adopting at the rate that it should, that it kind of slowed down a bit. What has been your experience? Have you seen some of that around in through, I mean, with the campuses that you work for?
0: Yeah, 100%, 100%. So the, oh, the biggest thing, and, and Jason's wonderful, I'm really glad he's going to be on the show to, to explain more about his thoughts. He's another person like Ethan, who I, I certainly like to be able to follow and see what he's been up to. But think about higher education, just as a whole, higher ed does not move quickly. Period. No matter the institution, no matter how great they are, no matter anything else of a sort. And yes, of course, there are going to be those uh, special types of circumstances, where there are those places that they wholeheartedly adopt about something new and they're working like magic and everything else. But if I'm painting in broad brushstrokes, once again, talking about an entire type of space or a field or an industry, higher education does not move quickly. Higher education has so many problems right now too, where AI is just like another problem to throw on top of the list of problems <laughs> where it's like, you already can't figure out about all these other different things. And then now all of a sudden, AI has just been thrown into this mix. And that's a humongous type of a hurdle and a barrier and a challenge to be able to get around. So when thinking about it from that perspective and from following Jason's work, it doesn't surprise me in any way, shape or form that when he is doing speaking engagements or consulting or anything else, but talking about with, just what AI can actually do and what it is versus what it is not, which is another thing. Because, of course, now, like I'm also now guilty of this of saying when I'm referring to AI, I'm not specifically only talking about Chat GPT, but that's what people now say is as this like GPT, therefore is AI and kind of like interchangeable. But anyway, there's so much more that can I really do. And for a lot of folks out there, they just simply don't know, they're aware about it now. And now that's why they're like, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, that was the big thing. But it was only the big thing in higher education because of the fact that it was pulling fake citations. If it didn't do that, I promise you that no one would be talking about this inside of higher education unless that there was some other monumental wave that came about where all of a sudden people were like, whoa, this is a problem. Plagiarism was another one. How do we detect this? Turn it in can't detect this yet. And then now there's this. Uh, chat GPT zero, and it's not working properly and everything else. And there were some people who I know who actually went through with their institution and essentially accused students of saying that you clearly use play, uh, you know, chat GPT, you're plagiarizing everything else of a sort. And hey, lo and behold, it was a false positive. And now you have this huge, uh, awful turmoil inside of your institution. What are you going to do? So it's almost like from a higher education perspective, unless there was a problem, then they're like, no, nah, it's, it's fine. Like, But that's what's going to drive that type of a change. But if you're coming into this by saying, hey, look at this. It's innovative. We can do something new. We can streamline this. We can make this better for students. And then that's when you get that typical type of uphill battle to be able to sell this to the masses about why this is actually a good thing. And look at what this can really do to help improve the learning experiences, which is a whole different sell as opposed to fear around plagiarism detection and things of that nature.
1: Yeah. No, and I agree with you, at least for ourselves. I know that we had turned it in, you know, maybe for a couple of years, and we didn't renew this year at all whatsoever. Actually, our ELA teachers kind of took it upon themselves, and they said, look, we're not worried about this. Like, we want to learn how to use this to help us make our teachers, excuse me, our uh, students better writers. And I'm talking about, you know, just chat GPT, because we only have that open for our educators. We don't have it open for our students at all whatsoever. So I've been kind of working on that with teachers as far as helping them, you know, at least with rubrics or just kind of things to help them give some feedback and enhance the, the learning experience through those writing assignments and kind of changing up a bit. But they're like, hey, look, we're not worried about it. Like well, what, what they did is they just say, you know what, we just have the students do their writing in our class. And really, you know, it's going to be a a combination of writing and then a learning artifact that they would create with that. So just to really get that authentic learning. So our educators, you know, thankfully have really adapted very well to this situation and they didn't really kind of panic. I'm sure that there was a little bit but they were able to adapt to the situation, and so that's been great. So I want to ask you, having said that, and I know we mentioned turn it in. Uh, what is your the your institution's uh, stance on incorporating AI, you know, within the learning or within your instructional design role?
0: Sure. So let me definitely first and foremost say that I do not speak for all of MIT. Can throw that out there right away. As far as for that, uh, because MIT did just actually come together and create this uh, massive resource to be able to help educate the masses around. AI with everything, which I'm sure you can find if you just Google that right now, but specifically for my division, when we got together and we put our heads together to be able to think about this, we did not want to be able to discourage the creative use as far as for with AI as far as for if that's going to be able to help you with things, then fantastic, but obviously, don't go overboard with it. And then now we're getting into that realm of like, is it really your work or not? So it's just like, don't essentially go down the, the deep end as far as for this goes but by all means if you want to be able to use it as a kickstarter which is what we've been talking about as well this entire conversation is that ai very much so can help you when you are feeling stuck or going in a different direction or giving you a whole idea that you never really thought about before then yeah it's going to be what you're going to use because also let's be real if i say don't use ai people will still use ai Like, it's kind of like that, like, let's, let's meet students where they are here. Because if you have access to your smartphone, if you have access into anything else, then are you going to be using this? Probably. And I know that, like, I do right now for my job, like, So why would I tell you not to be able to use it when I know you're just going to use it at the end of the day as well? So it's also being smart with this and just trying to be able to think about this from this perspective in my division as well, too. We do focus on professional development for folks. So it's not as much, I would say, as a concern from my side of the house, because people who are taking our types of programs, they want to be there. This is something they want to be able to upskill in they want to be able to grow inside of a skill set so therefore they are definitely giving it their all to be able to do not like there's people who are usually going to be taking something like the more of a traditional sense as far as with a 16 long semester or things of that nature it's much more you want to be able to do this you want to be able to grow this is going to help you to get you inside of that right direction hence professional development but that's a couple of different angles around that Personally, inside of the courses that I teach, I want to be able to use AI with my students in real time to be, allow them to be able to actually see about what it can and what it can't do. So one of the assignments inside of my class at the University of Miami is that we go through and we create a type of a fictitious type of a syllabus where it's a scenario-based problem and they go through; they're creating a brand new type of essentially like an MBA program. Let's say it creates everything for the MBA, but then we start to dive on into the syllabi affiliated with this, and we start to tear it apart and be able to see about what it did well, but also, really, that that didn't that doesn't make sense. And why would you link this assignment with this? Why would you do this grading policy? Why would you do this form of a attendance policy and things of that nature? And, and that's when the students were able to really see about like, oh. AI is not perfect. There's clearly some flaws here, but they can also see too about how it can be incorporated to be able to use, especially if you want to become an instructional designer in the future. I would say that if you don't currently use ChatGPT and you go into a job, I I think people would be like baffled. Like, what do you mean? You haven't used you haven't dabbled in anything before because like it's just we've all now tried it at this point in time so that's kind of a multi-perspective stance to answer your question about a number <laughs> of different types of ways and in institutions
1: that's wonderful and you know at least with my institution I know for example my department right now I'm going through kind of the dissertation phase and everything and uh, my prof is like Yeah, like, you know, we need it, you can use it just to help your ideas, not completely do your writing, but just kind of put your ideas together. And it was something that was great because last May, I actually used it in one of my classes to, I put in my professor's rubric as I was doing my final paper and it was just giving me some feedback things to look at things to fix and so, and so on and so forth and i did very well on that paper and i shared it with my my professor the head of the department i said hey let me show you something that i did and they were just blown away by it that one of my professors dr jewett said hey fons can you come over you know come into one of my classes can you show us how you did this so you can help our students really just say, hey, you know, maybe they have a question or maybe uh, I may not be available to answer them right away, but something that they can kind of use and put this rubric in and get some feedback. And it just kind of took off from there. So at least I know within my program, they're really just open to using uh, artificial intelligence in that sense like you said sometimes it's either that little kickstarter or just really to get those ideas across and of course for me what i love and and there's a there's a website that i use is really just getting my citations correct because, oh my gosh, you know, it's just learning APA 7th edition, then it's probably going to change soon and that changes. So for me, as long as I get my citations right, I'm good, whether it's, in, you know, in paragraph citations or just my final references. That's really what scares me the most because now hopefully, like you mentioned, with the writing process, oftentimes it just felt punitive where, you have this body of work that you've done, and you work very hard for. And then all of a sudden, you get ten point stock, twenty point stock just for missing a comma or an italic, you know italicizing something. And it's punitive on the reference. But what about the content and everything that I'm putting here together? And it just seemed like now kind of the tables are turning and it's like, okay, well, now we are we writing for stamina or are we writing for actual content knowledge and what are we producing? And I've just been, you know, pushing back. I was like, man, we, we kind of maybe... Maybe change the way dissertations are done. Like, why can't I just do a podcast for my dissertation? Because I was so, like, I, <laughs> that's
0: fascinating. That's, that's really fascinating to be able to think about because when thinking about, once again, from a, a universal design for learning lens, there was actually one, now doctor, because he, he graduated with his PhD, that he did his entire dissertation as a rap. Like he rapped the whole thing as a song and it's nuts. You can find it on YouTube. It's crazy how amazing it is. And he rhymed like all the right words in there. It makes no sense. I was like, you are a absolute genius to be able to do. But yeah, if you're thinking about demonstrating your knowledge, why couldn't you do that? As far as you're being able to turn it into a podcast or for a video or for some type of a different form of presentation, it doesn't need to be the exact same way every single time. But absolutely, I promise you. But if I was going to go back in time and redo my EDD, I'm positive that I'd be able to try to use this while, of course, being very, very, very careful from a data privacy perspective, because you will get hammered with that if you do anything incorrect. But as far as you're thinking about things with uh, themes, with coding, uh, because a priori coding is what I actually use for mine. If I can try to be able to identify different types of themes that what I was doing by hand, and I essentially looked like a crazy person where I just had white papers all over my walls and i'm trying to link together different things like using like that type of character from it's always sunny in philadelphia like with a string and it looks like i'm maddening and i haven't slept in days kind of a thing like that's what i did for my writing and you're telling me that if i had some form of a helpful type of a hint about what direction to go in for a theme or something um that would have saved me days of my life Like that's why I did for days upon days. So I'm so curious to hear how the rest of your program is going to go. With that in mind,
1: for sure. I'm definitely curious about that too. I like I'm one of those like I met with my professor and he's like, okay, this is what we're gonna do on my actual dissertation, and then. I said, and then he mentioned, he goes, oh, and then here you can use maybe chat GPT just to get your ideas in order to do this and this and this, um, you know, for chapter one and so on. And then I was like, hey, why don't I do my dissertation on writing my dissertation uh, you know, using chat GPT to write my dissertation kind of deal like it was just one of those inception kind of topics and he just started laughing. I was like, yeah, it'd, it'd be double the work, but it'd be really cool to see you know because my my first original thought was, why can't I crowdsource my dissertation? My dissertation could be a crowdsourcing sourcing of writing my dissertation or something like that yeah you know, I'm always just trying to think outside the box because I don't know maybe it's just that fear of writing that I I've never been good at it. I I've learned to like it, but that's why I always say, why can't I just do a podcast or a video? That could be my dissertation. <laughs> you
0: know, oh, no, never know. You have no idea where this is gonna go. And, and I mean, thinking about, from a literature review uh, perspective, like, oh man, lit reviews take forever. So yeah. picking out pull information for you or to perhaps go and find something that you cannot find yourself as you were scouring through all these different, various types of journals. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yes, I just, yes. I, I'm so curious <laughs> here how the rest of that's going to go.
1: All right. Well, just a couple more questions, two more questions before we wrap up. Right now, you know, within the instructional design space, obviously going back to within your community and of course the feedback that you get and you know the people that you have that are that you are in contact with. I want to ask you do right now are there any barriers that you or many of your colleagues may be running into because of AI within the instructional design space?
0: You mean as far as you're being able to use AI right now?
1: Uh, well, as far as, I guess, maybe barriers to for your final products, maybe as far as uh, the c- creation component of it or the creation aspect of, you know, your designing, you know, your lessons and so on. So
0: that's a tricky one to answer. There are definitely different types of barriers. The first is going to be uh, cost. As far as thinking about it from that perspective, I'm one of those silly people who pays the nineteen ninety nine a month to be able to use GPT-4. And I can com- confidently tell you that what I'm able to do versus what my colleagues are able to do is different because I actually pay for it and they're using the free version. So to give you an example, and I'm not sure if you've done this before, but with GPT-4, you can create your own simulations. That blew my mind. But it's just like, wait, you're telling me that I don't have to go out. And to buy this super expensive simulation from XYZ place that may or may not exactly fit what I'm trying to be able to do, that I can just start from scratch and then create my own. And then I can download it and I can own it and I can repurpose it. And like, and I can only do that with the paid version. And yes, it definitely took me many, many tries to be able to figure out how to do that. But when I showed it to my colleagues, they're like, How did you how did you do that? I know, like, this is something that you would never know about because I'm on the paid version. So that's going to 100% be a barrier for everything. And the second is as far as for, it's almost like being able to say not giving up which you mentioned this like a little while ago is that people tried it for a little bit for being able to do with prompt engineering and they're like, ah, it's not giving me the answers I want and I'm just gonna kind of go away. And it's like, no, that's, that's not the point. And if you were to observe about how much that I use with GPT and you saw essentially like the log of just every command I entered from the very start all the way until the end, it would be a massive amount of pages. And there's some different tips and tricks that a lot of folks don't know about because they haven't gone down this type of rabbit hole before. My favorite prompt, my favorite command, by the way, is simply entering in, figure it out. It's like, I, I can't do this. I'm like, no, you're smart. Figure it out. Yeah. And it will try again. And you're like, oh, you're right. I guess I can do that. Or you can actually give it an example as far as forward GPT specifically, as far as for giving proof that a certain type of thing can be done and it will say no it can't be done and then you're like hey look at this here is literal proof that you can actually do this and it's like oh you're right let me try again and you just keep going like that and eventually that's how i wound up with the simulation i wanted to be able to use because it was telling me at first as far as for no i I can't change up the colors for you and like you need to be able to do this with yourself let me teach you how to build the simulation i'm like no no, I do not want to build a simulation. You are building the simulation. And it took forever, but but it did it. And I was like, I I have now have a way to be able to design a simulation for essentially anything I want to be able to do as long as I have the right subject matter experts to write data sets and all the things of that nature. But I can do that. But of course, once again, from thinking about from a challenge perspective, who else is doing that as far as you being able to say, Oh, I'm not gonna quit because you know it it keeps on giving me no and I'm gonna keep on uh persisting and seeing if I can eventually get it there and that's that's definitely something that a lot of people don't know about so that that's in a talking point in and of itself.
1: Yeah. And I agree with you on that. You know, I think a lot of times it's just that frustration that comes again, like you mentioned, not getting the correct output right away, but because you're not trying. And obviously I think it's a lot of it is just that we feel like, Oh, this is just something that should be instant and it should be right all the time. So my, my thing is that I always tell my teachers is I, one of the things that concerns me the most out of teaching and and again, putting it into practice within our school district is that you will have some educators that are just like oh here's I'm going to here's my input oh there's my output I'm going to go with that so I, uh, it's like what habit are we forming I don't want my teachers to form a bad habit of just taking that first output and say hey let's go let's run with it and not even bother checking it because they feel that it's going to be 100% accurate which again I know that not all of them do that but it's just really kind of instilling and repeating to them saying please don't get into that habit because i don't want them to you know either there'll be a mistake an error misinformation things of that sort and we don't want that the other thing that you mentioned too is the time investment is definitely something that's there for sometimes we can say oh yes chad gpt can save you hours because you can use it but then we don't tell them, well, you kind of have to invest a couple of hours to save you those hours in the future. It's that return on investment. So the more you practice, the more you learn this wonderful instrument, like I said, and take down a deep dive and build up those prompt calluses. And before you know it, you're going to be, you're going to know exactly how to prompt ChatGPT to get all the information. One of the things that I did learn, uh, Dr. Hobson, and I don't know, maybe you're talking about prompts. Oftentimes they tell you, like, okay, tell Chat GPT, give it a persona, give it this, give it that. And one of the things that I used to do is say, okay, you are an instructional designer. Um, and, but I would give it specific uh, instructions to say, you know, we're, you know, you've been an instructional designer for 10 years. And I learned from a podcast to say, why are we limiting? ChatGPT because keep in mind that it has all the information, like all of it, like scraped up as much information there. So why are we limiting it to 10 years of experience? So now I started changing my prompts to say, you're an instructional designer that has all of the information, you know, available to you, you know, in this topic and so on and so forth. And I've been using that and comparing my prompts and it really has, you know, elevated My prompt and my output. So that's one thing that I learned. So it's very important that we practice and that we learn from others as far as what's out there to you know help ease some of that frustration and obviously get into the good habit of putting in that work, but knowing that that return on investment is going to be great. That's for sure.
0: So my my favorite one, and I'll, I'll share this with you, is that so like you, I done the same exact thing where at first I was like ten years experience whatever, and I'm like now it's got to be a better way. So what I started to say. Is that you are the world's greatest instructional designer. There is no one better than you. How would you do X (laughs) just to see what it would say? But I've done that for everything too. As far as even just thinking about with YouTube videos, what do I want to talk about next? Where I was just like, you are the world's greatest YouTuber. Think about all the, you know, X, Y, Z, different types of top performing videos inside of a instructional design space. Which ones should I tackle next? And it would give me a list. And that's, pretty darn fascinating and once again i look through the list and i'm like "Eh, i mean like maybe two out of the ten or something that i actually want to do and the rest i'm like nah it's really not my wheelhouse or i don't really agree which is like you can totally disagree with whatever it gives you but i've done that for you are the world's best marketer you are the world's greatest instructional designer i've even done you are a lawyer and trying to be able to help me with thinking about things from that type of a technical space as far as where that goes which of course it tells you no, I am not a lawyer. I cannot give you legal advice. I'm like, yeah, but like, let's say hypothetically speaking, you are an incredible lawyer and I want you to draft up this contract. Uh, what would you say? And it's like, well, hypothetically, I would say X, Y, and Z and would list out those different forms of bullet points. And I was like, all right, thank you. So yeah, it's, it's a couple of different, but how would you know that? Unless if you personally have experimented with that, took the time, as you just said, to be able to go and to try to be able to see what it can and can't do, you would never know that. And for most of the types of people who I'm presenting to right now for conferences for higher education, they still instantly say, what about fake citations? Like, you know, that you know, that died, right? That's not a thing anymore. I'm like, Oh, I, I just heard about it. I'm like, no, we're luckily we're past that. We have new things to think about. But now we're like going in that direction. So. It's it's something to just be aware of as far yeah. as that goes.
1: For sure, for sure. I want to give a shout out to William Illingsworth, who's joining us. He says here, what a dream team. Dr. Hobson on Maya Tech Life. Love this combo. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. High tech podcast. Make sure you check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Luke. I really appreciate you, you know, coming by and just dropping off some truth bombs and your experience and everything that you're doing. It's always fascinating, and most more than anything, I definitely appreciate your friendship too as well. Thank you so much for that too. You know, being able to, you know, contact each other sometimes with questions and things, whether it be instructional design or content creation. It's always great to just go back and forth with you and uh, making those connections and learning from you as much as hopefully you're learning from me. So I really appreciate you being here. And I know my audience appreciates this and your take on higher ed and AI and exploring all the wonderful world of instructional design. So thank you so much for sharing those experiences. But before we go, I always love to end the show with these three questions. And I'm not sure if that already started when you made your first appearance, but if not, here, your second appearance, now we get to answer those questions. So my question to you is, here we go, first one. We know that every superhero has an origin story, and we know that Superman's weakness was kryptonite. It was his biggest pain point. So I want to ask you, in the current state of instructional design, what would you say is your current ID kryptonite?
0: It's moving slowly. I want to go fast. I want to go now. I want to make a difference. I want to make these incredible learning experiences. And if you tell me that I have to wait six months until blah, it kills me. I just, I'll do it. I have to, once again, I work inside of a slow moving type of a higher education space. So I understand, but I really. I just want to go uh, and be able to do things. So that certainly kills me.
1: Perfect. All right. Great answer. And you know what? Uh, when I had Will here on the, from the high tech podcast, who just commented on LinkedIn, one of his things was too, that when he was talking is just kind of his experience in higher ed was, you know, very slow moving also as well. So I totally get that. All right. Question number two is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why?
0: I mean selfish thing i'd probably say go buy my book i don't know (laughs) something as far as for all the different types of products and things that i do have out there but what i would say though if i'm if i'm being honest it would probably be to listen to the podcast because like you i have a podcast so i'd love to be able to do And I'm sure you've heard from your audience as well of connecting with people and hearing about where they listen to you and how and what they do as far as for going on walks with their dog or just washing the dishes or driving in the car with their family and they listen to your show and like you're a part of their world. That's so cool. So being able to spread that even more and reach more learning nerds, I I think that'd be my billboard for sure.
1: Perfect. Excellent. And we will have that podcast listed in the show notes too, as well. So you please make sure that you do listen to it. And if you are interested in instructional design, please make sure that you do purchase the book. The book is great. And I must say that I was honored to receive the, what's it called? The copy, the, the, your very signed first, copy? yes. Well, a signed copy, but it was the, let me see where is it? So,
0: What I wish I knew before becoming an instructional designer, that title.
1: Well, yeah, that, that, but it was the, it wasn't even the one that was for sale. It was your, it was like your own personal copy. Like the one they send you like that sample. Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes, yes. It's the, the author copies. They they send you like five author copies. Yeah, you're one of those.
1: Yeah. So I got one of those. So I'm honored to have that and signed to as well. So I'm sure that I actually, I should get a class case for it here and put it right here. Just like yours too. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) All right. And the last question here is if you could turn one of your favorite hobbies or activities into a full-time profession, what would it be and why?
0: It would be to help people build out their brands. I find that so much fun. And I just I just do that for fun with people, whether you're an author, you're trying to be able to build that out as far as you're building out an audience or for a email list or trying to think about from marketing campaigns or anything else of the sort. I just find building out brands fun and interesting to hear about people's passions and trying to help them to be able to grow and to reach more people because everyone is a brand. You're all living, uh, living breathing, walking brands in your own nature, whether it's from an author, instructional designer cook, YouTuber, you name it. Like everyone has their own thing and trying to help spread the messages about their passions is something that I find really interesting. So I do that. I do that more if I could.
1: Love it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate you being here. I know, like like I mentioned, our audience definitely is definitely going to take away some great knowledge nuggets from this episode. So thank you. For your appearance, being a two-time guest, hopefully we can get you. There's only been one other person that's been a three-time guest, so you're definitely welcome back anytime. and especially, you know, you got a new book, you got a new project, you got anything that's going on. You always have an open invite, Dr. Luke, so I appreciate you as always. And for all our audience members who are joining us live or those of you that are going to be catching this on the replay, please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 258 wonderful episodes with content creators, teachers, practitioners, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs. We've got a little bit of everything for you where I promise you that you will take some great knowledge from that you can sprinkle onto what you are already doing great. So please make sure that you visit our website and if you haven't yet, follow us on all socials at my edtech life at my edtech life. We are on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. We're on X or, or Twitter. I, I don't know. I still can't get used to saying X. Instagram, TikTok, and all of those. So please make sure you follow us there. And also don't forget, like I mentioned, please help us get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. So hop on over, give us a thumbs up and give us a follow or a subscription, I should say. We really appreciate that. So thank you as always from the bottom of my heart for all of your support. And until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie.